it's really going to come down to, to local governments to, to fill these gaps some way. This is episode 295 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. California's Santa Cruz County is known for its bustling beaches and its natural inland beauty. It's within driving distance of Silicon Valley and offers a high quality of life for people who aren't interested in living in a large, bustling city, but still want the activities found in a coastal community. In this interview, Christopher talks with Patrick Mulhern from Santa Cruz County. He discusses how county officials turn to better connectivity as an economic development tool, and he describes the challenges they faced. He also talks about the policy changes Santa Cruz County has adopted to encourage ISPs to improve services and the results of those changes. Patrick and Christopher also talk about what Santa Cruz County is working on next. Now here's Christopher with Patrick Mulhern from Santa Cruz County in California. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Today I'm talking with Patrick Mulhern, a policy analyst in the office of Supervisor Zach Friend of Santa Cruz County. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's just start with a little bit of Santa Cruz County. Uh, People may not be entirely familiar with your lovely little oasis south of San Jose, but uh, what should people know about it who aren't familiar with it? Uh, We are the second smallest county by geography in the state of California, uh, around 250,000 people total, uh, both in the unincorporated county and in our various municipal jurisdictions, Um, about 150,000 um, just in the unincorporated county. Uh, we are a, a coastal town, um, so there's a concentration of development along the coast. Um, but about 40 years ago, the locals uh, put in a series of, of protective ordinances to maintain uh, green space and um, agricultural lands, uh, protect them from development. So uh, while we're pretty densely uh, urbanized along the coast, the interior is very rural um, and uh, intended to be so for in perpetuity. It sounds like a lot of California. Um, we are special in that we are also about 30 miles from Silicon Valley. Uh, so a, a great many of our uh, residents here in the county commute every day into Silicon Valley. So they're, they're engineers or uh, employed by tech companies. Uh, several of the major tech employers um, send buses down here to pick up their employees. Um, so there are a lot of cars on our highway that are traveling north into Silicon Valley where uh, we've become um, a bedroom community uh, for Silicon Valley. So a lot of tech consumers here, a lot of people that are uh, very concerned about their access to the internet. And you're on good terms with the city of Santa Cruz, right? And a fair amount of people live near the city, but are in the county's jurisdiction. I mean, realizing that the county, of course, has jurisdiction over the city, but there's a, a fair amount of people, despite the agriculture lands and whatnot, that live outside of Santa Cruz, right? Yes, yes. Most of our, our unincorporated areas um, that are inhabited um, are what are considered rural residential areas. So they are uh, not concentrated aggregations of people, but they're still aggregations of, of families, um, uh, neighborhoods, in fact, on parcels ranging in size from, from one acre to three acres. Uh, but we'll, it'll still be um, a, a community of people all living together. And all of those people are, for the most part, somehow involved in, uh, in technology. 
So we have um, educators, uh, we have small business owners, and as I said before, the, a lot of commuters into Silicon Valley. And I think it's it's worth just noting that because of the the nature of our of our conversation and talking about the kind of density and the the way that the population is distributed, because uh, both you and uh, Supervisor Zach Friend have worked very hard to try to make Santa Cruz County as inviting to investment to improve uh, telecommunications access as possible. At least that's my impression from afar. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's that's been the plan. So let's maybe start at the beginning. Uh, at what point did you come to realize that, um, you know, that, that, that at least the incumbents viewed some of the policies perhaps as uh, restricting investment and that they would need to be looked at? This broad broadband policy was was actually uh, one of the positions that uh, that Zach ran on. So we coming into office already had some idea of how we wanted to pursue this, but we, of course, once we got into office, we realized that things were a lot more more complicated than they looked on the outside. Um, and initially, our goal was to improve economic development in the county by um, increasing the amount of, of broadband capacity, uh, so we could maybe lure high tech companies down here, or um, even convince some of the of the larger tech companies who have a great number of employees down here to maybe create satellite facilities, and then you know pipe in very high capacity, high speed broadband into those areas so that uh, they that it would be cost effective for them to have facilities down here. When we get, when we actually started the policymaking process, though, we we realized that like a lot of jurisdictions in California, especially coastal jurisdictions, the the uh, land use ordinances and policies of the county were um, very restrictive, uh, designed to slow down and inhibit development, um, and to preserve things the way they they currently are. We also didn't have any any money, any capital to actually build our own fiber networks or even to put in into con our own conduit. Um, so we wanted to find a way to make it easier for other people to invest here. Um, and we started our conversations with Comcast and AT&T specifically, um, and then a couple of, uh, of local internet service providers. But, but our, our, our initial focus was on the, the major international incumbent type facilities um, and ask them specifically. Well, what what is it that we're doing wrong? Uh, what is it that we're we're what what are our policies that get in your way? Um, and they they were very candid about the the types of things that would would make Santa Cruz County more attractive. Now this is also occurring kind of at the same time as the the Google Fiber craze was going on. Um, and so we were also able to get a copy of the the sort of the the requirements that that Google had for their fiber initiative, uh, the the types of policies and ordinances that they would look for in a, in a jurisdiction if they were to partner, and so we we also incorporated some of those ideas into our our initial policy making. But the the, the whole idea was uh, because we had no public funding for it to find a way to encourage private investment, and so that that was our focus from the beginning. And what kind of things were they noting? I mean, did it have to do with uh, with taxes, with um, you know, um, right of way permitting? What were some of their their issues that they would like to resolve? Almost exclusively with the permitting process. Uh, the way things were set up before, uh, every every individual project 
had to have its own discretionary permit. Now, um, so we, you have two types of permits. You have discretionary permits and administrative permits. And, and the discretionary type requires public notice, and it goes through a staff review process. And at any point, it could be derailed for any reason. Uh, it, it leaves a lot of, a lot of, of opportunity for uh, people to interfere with the development or to challenge it um, all the way up through this uh, review process. Um, while an administrative permit um, is basically if you tick these boxes, you, if you meet these requirements, then you are issued a permit. There's no discretion. There's no public noticing requirement. Furthermore, having to do individual permits for each of these projects required individual fees every time. And so it became quite expensive for anybody and, and time consuming to go through this process. Uh, so we, we initially focused on uh, finding ways to uh, aggregate all of the, the permits into one. So we, we were able to to able to streamline the process that way where you would you could pr provide all of your all of the sites that you're going to be working on. Uh, so, for example, AT&T, if they wanted to uh, put in 12 new boxes to serve their new fiber network, they would just have to give us a list of all the, of all the boxes, uh, meet all of the the sort of the administrative requirements, and then we would issue them a permit that would be good for all of their devices. Initially, we, we did a test run with their, their sort of their first round of permits to, to see how well it worked and whether it was going to work for them, and it, and it, it seemed to. Uh, they were able to develop their infrastructure in about nine months, um, and that was all we heard from them. Uh, I, I, I should clarify that, that the projects that, that they were interested in working on were in areas that were already served by fiber. So they were improving. Um, at, at one point, they had a, a, a fiber to copper to home system, and they were upgrading it to fiber to home. Uh, so they were improving the you know their download speeds and their capacity but basically providing a product that was already available in the areas that they were working. Right. In, in some ways, it sounds like you know they had identified the audience that they felt they would get the most profit from and that they were the most focused on, and they were you know, just interested in, in serving that audience, which is, of course, one of the critiques that many of us have, which is that almost regardless of a permitting process, uh, that, that these companies are going to um, – some of these companies are going to um, engage in some pretty significant um, either redlining or a behavior that appears to be close to that. Yes, um, unfortunately, and it's—I mean, obviously for di different reasons than than we typically associate with redlining. But they 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 have a a profit model that they intend to follow, and um, they're going to go after the easy money, which is um, high higher density areas, um, just having more people per mile rather than miles per people, um, and that's that's the challenge for us. And I think it's just worth reiterating. I mean, one of the concerns that, that any network builder has in a permitting process um, is that it be uh, predictable. And it, one of the, the biggest problems isn't necessarily the fee that's charged. It's the amount of time it would take to go through it. And so yes. you, took the, you took that uncertainty out of it by finding ways of making sure that they'd be able to predict it. I mean, you know, when it comes down to filling out forms and things like that, companies like AT&T have a million people that can do that. They have no problems with that. It's it's all about the predictability. Yes, and 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 I think that honestly, that's that has been 
part of the problem with development countywide in Santa Cruz County, California, is the is the the, the predictability of the permitting process. Honestly, that pursuing reform just for broadband facilities has uh, has opened up to include a wider discussion about permitting here for any project. Um, and so I think that that that's been kind of an unintended consequence of of the conversation is that we we're now also addressing how we process building permits for houses or for developments to to create, like you say, more a more predictable uh, sort of arc. Excellent. Um, I think that's important. Um, as someone who, um, you know, doing home improvement and things like that, uh, will have to be dealing with permitting. I hope all cities are are looking at that because it's. Uh, it's a challenge. I think it's one of the bigger challenges that, that young policymakers are going to have to deal with in terms of um, giving people faith in local governments. But I think the key lesson of what we're talking about here is actually that um, you addressed what what is identified as the key bottleneck that uh, large providers identify in terms of what discourages their investment. You remove that bottleneck, and it sounds like the only thing that happened was areas that um, already had better access simply got much better access. And the kinds of things that you wanted to happen, which was far better access in the areas that had been left behind, that those areas are still waiting for investment. Yes, that is 100% accurate. So now, I mean, we have gigabit speeds to people who had 500 megabit downloads previously. And I still have 90,000, 100,000 people who are scraping by with maybe they have a legacy DSL connection or uh, they're using satellite um, or some other alternative or they're, they're trying to negotiate with the incumbents to, to run a line out to their neighborhood. Um, to, we, we've, had, we've had one neighborhood that's been successful with that. Yeah, that's it's it's rough, <laughs> and that's why uh, you know most of this show focuses on um, what uh, folks are doing to try to improve access because um, either they've given up on this uh, sort of hope or um, or they never had it to begin with. Um, so I think the the second part of the show, what I'd like to focus on, is the sense of uh, what comes next for Santa Cruz County. We have a what we're calling a, a broadband master plan. And that initiative has been folded into a an interjurisdictional uh, working group called the Fiber Initiative Team, and it's their job now. It includes policymakers from both the city and the county, um, from our public works and planning departments, and our economic development department to try to uh, flesh out our our fiber map and to also identify areas. Uh, where we think targeted investment should be made to improve uh, broadband resources. The whole idea here is to, to act strategically, uh, f- find areas, for example, th- for economic development reasons, could use uh, better fiber access. Uh, we have, a, 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 for example, a, a medical corridor with hospitals and doctor's offices and medical imaging offices and um, they're all concentrated in this area, and the fiber that is currently being sold, cyber access that's been currently being sold to these institutions, is uh, kind of outrageously priced. And so we're we're wondering whether if we put in uh, perhaps a municipal project or uh, found some other way to inc- to help someone else come into there, we might be able to leverage a, a, 
a market environment that would allow for maybe lowering some of the costs. Um, and then we could perhaps attract some more uh, startup type companies to come into that area. Uh, one of the nexuses that we're looking at is the, the University of California, Santa Cruz, is the home of the Human Genome Project. And so uh, what, are, what are some ways that we can facilitate this nexus between the Human Genome Project and our existing medical uh, companies here? Uh, maybe the, the catalyst would be a better uh, broadband access. So those, those are the types of conversations that we're having at the Fiber Initiative team. Uh, to find better ways to utilize the existing network and to find ways to encourage economic development strategically. For our more rural areas, though, there there really isn't a lot of activity by the incumbents nor apparently any interest. But we do have a local Internet service provider that is is very interested in expanding their network. And about three years ago, uh, Cinesis uh, put a new four terabit fiber trunk that goes straight through the middle of this undeveloped area in Santa Cruz County. And and theirs is is an open network, so anybody can lease uh, strands of fiber and run their own uh, they're going to run run their own network off of that. And so this local ISP, they're called uh, Cruzio, is looking to uh, use that backbone to expand their network into the rural areas. Um, and their plan is to uh, use line of sight, wireless broadband to uh, beam their their product down into uh, some of the topographically less accessible areas um, and then run fiber from uh, nodes in those areas to the houses and in the valleys and up on the hills. Um, right now, it very much looks like a homebrew ISP. So we have one neighborhood where there's a guy who lives up on a hill, and he put a radio mast up there, uh, catches the wireless signal, uh, beams it down into to another house below him, and then they are, are running their own fiber between the houses that way. <laughs> Uh, so we're trying to find ways to facilitate that process, uh, make it easier for them, to, again, through permitting or uh, land use decisions, make it easier for them to expand on this this very much homegrown Internet service provider that they're working on. And we're looking to replicate that model um, in a couple of these these more, I don't want to call them dense, but they're, they're rural residential areas with, you know, around 200 homes in the, in, in the areas. And so we're trying to take this as a model and maybe we can reach these people that way, doing it um, uh, just sort of an ad hoc uh, homegrown network. Yeah, we've uh, run across a number of these, uh, often actually in California or other Western states, where um, you know, there's there's usually someone that's interested in, in figuring this out themselves, sharing it with their neighbors, and and seeing what's hap- what happens next. Um, so it's it's great that that spirit is a uh, is alive in your neighborhoods. Yes, yeah, so it's very exciting, and they're very enthusiastic about it. And honestly, we have the right with the right people working on it because these people at their day jobs are, are engineers for, you know, tech companies. So that's <laughs> right. what they do. <laughs> yeah. It's people who, you know, if something doesn't work, they view that as a challenge, not a setback, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, that's terrific. I really appreciate you coming on to to share the information, particularly about the actions you've taken and the results. I'm sorry, you know, as always, that um, that when you go through the, that kind of effort and you make something happen to find out that it's not generating the results you want. Um, but I think it is it is um, good to have that hard evidence that um, some of the incumbents. Um, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but um, no matter what cities and counties do, um, there are a number of companies that simply will not solve the issue for low-income households or even people that just live in areas that might be a little bit harder to serve, and we need to figure things out. So I'm glad that you're also working on that. It's, it's really going to come down to, to local governments to, to fill these gaps some way. It's, it's often said that, that the states are laboratories of democracy, and, and it really is the, the local governments that are, are able to do these kind of pursue these harebrained policies to see what works. And so I, I think it's important that that we all communicate with each other so we can see, well, this is working, this isn't working, and, and maybe amongst all of us together we can create some kind of model policies that we can apply elsewhere throughout the country and maybe achieve some kind of success. Yes, definitely. And and that's one of the things that I'm, I'm sure that you appreciate, especially since you have such a, a county that has such varied um, density and geography, is that um, we need many models because there's yes. gonna, every different types of communities need different kinds of models. So Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to come on and share your experiences with us. Thank you for having me. That was Christopher with Patrick Mulhern from Santa Cruz County, California. We have transcripts from this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcasts at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcasts. You can access them wherever you get your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Never miss out on our original research by subscribing to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you, Arnie Hughesby, for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed to Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 295 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. (laughs) 